Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's Brendan Escott in today. It's 1234 in Edmonton. 12.35 if your watch is really on time. It's Oilers Now, where some guests receive gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal and occasion at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. John Shannon, David Staples, still coming up in hour two of the show. Uh, working to connect with Al May. You know, he's from Edmonton, now covering the Eastern Beat, the Washington Capitals color analyst on NBC Sports Network. We bring him aboard every couple of weeks and just chat uh, about whatever's... Uh, well, oftentimes we're chatting about who had the hardest forehead in the 1990s, but uh, we can skip that today if you'd prefer, Al, and we can just talk nuts and bolts of this upcoming hockey season. How you doing? Thanks for jumping on the show. Good, and I'll answer that. It was Ty Domi all day, every day. So, and, and I don't think that ever changed throughout his career. That was impossible. <laughs> I get—he literally looks like he would have the hardest forehead in the '90s at that time. Uh, it, it makes you know, sense. It would be before a game, one time before a game uh, in the old Cap Center, Washington. You know, we both teams' dressing rooms were in the, the the home team's end of the ice. And I saw him out there cutting a stick, and he must have done it, must have done it on purpose. I weighed about 175 pounds. I look across, you know, I don't know how, tired, tall, how tall he really is, but he had, a, he had a big noggin, but he had a set of traps on him and a set of pecs. He looked like a miniature version of uh, a bald Lou Ferrigno. And I, I couldn't believe it, and I remember that night, he beat up uh, my good buddy, John Cordick, and I was like, John, He's a lefty. He goes, no, he's not. He's a righty. I go, no, I think he's just fooling everyone. I think he's a lefty. <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't believe. And I don't know how many times that I'm fighting in my career, but it was impossible because he was so dang strong. Hilarious. I think of a guy, like, I don't know if you're a huge NFL fan, but a few years ago, a guy named Doug Martin, they called him the Muscle Hamster. The Muscle Hamster was his nickname, and that's kind of what I picture when you describe Ty Domi that way, just kind of short and really compact and, and just tough to bring down, I imagine. Uh, and the guy turned in, I never. I don't think I've seen many players ever improve that much, the guy. The way he was playing in Toronto at near the end of his career, the guy was, I can't believe, I, I, I really kick my hat off to him all the time for how hard he worked at being a better player. And that was also, you know, the benefit of being lucky enough to play for a guy like Pat Quinn who wanted more from you, not just to be a tough guy. But I, I, I can't say anything bad about that kid, and he's done really good for himself in his life. Wonder whether uh, his kid Max might end up on the Edmonton Oilers anytime soon. Some money would have to move uh, if that were to happen mid-season or, or whatever. But it's certainly been talked about. Maybe not so much lately as the team looks to to see what Ryan McLeod's going to re-sign for. And now, Al, the the talk of this week anyway is whether Jake Vertanen might be an option for this Oilers team on a on a professional tryout offer. The Oilers, by all reports, have tendered that to him, so he's mulling it over and it sounds like it's just down to the Alberta teams at this point so uh, maybe let me in on how you feel about the Oilers taking what is certainly a risk on a player like Vertanen with the potential of him filling out a bottom six role for them 
well, you know what? I, I have to say this. Every time he played against the Washington Capitals in the games that I was covering, he, he seemed to play very well. He's a, he's a big kid. He's a straight-ahead skater, not a lot of agility. He can fire the puck when he's got time. And, I, you know, when, you, when you're away from the game like he was, it's, it's tough to get it all the way back. But as far as, you know, I know there's a, a lot of things being said about him, but, the, you know, the guy... You know, he had an issue. Supposedly the issue is gone now. I haven't followed it that closely, but I heard that he was not guilty. And I, I think the, the biggest problem for him is going to have to be, you know, playing is just having to listen to it. And, you know, no one really explains their side of the story or gets to explain their side of the story nowadays. And he, uh, you know, I, I think he deserves a second chance. It'll probably piss a lot of people off. But, you know, there, there are, you know, he, he was, I, I think he was not guilty. So, I would have to say that, you know, he, he has to find a way to be a good NHL player if he comes back, and he's going to have to be a model citizen no matter what. And it's going to be tough for any team that signs him. And I would think it would be harder to play in Canada than it would be in most of the spots in the United States where no one would know who you are. Do you think that from the front office standpoint of Edmonton, knowing now that it's it's kind of out in the open, it's down to Edmonton and Calgary, is this somewhat of an arms race in that, you know, you want to bring this player in, but maybe you want to bring him in so that the other guy doesn't have an opportunity to and, and make him happen down south? You know what? I don't know if teams do that garbage anymore. And I, I think the big thing is whether you believe the guy can help you or not. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of guys going out on PTOs this year, and we've seen what Alex Chason's done uh, throughout his career. I don't think anyone's ever done it better. But it, it's just a matter of, you know, where he thinks he can make a roster. Is he ready to make a roster? And, and for him, you know, the odds are against him. He's going to have to be at his best of fitness. He's going to have to have his legs under him, his game legs early, and he's going to have to shine because, once again, it's a – it's kind of a PR issue uh, unless it's addressed fully and directly in the media. And I, I just think it's, it's, you know, no matter who takes them, uh, they're going to have to deal with it for a little while and they're going to have to get to his side of everything out. And then the guy can be able to play hockey, hopefully. Chatting with Al May on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline right now. New captain out in Montreal, a team I guess you would see a lot more frequently than we do around these parts, save for the Canadian division. But it's Nick Suzuki that gets the captain's C and not the long-serving Brendan Gallagher. Maybe a thought on that from you, Al. Well, I was I was very surprised that they went with him, and just that. He's been in the league a short time, uh, a very short time, and he, he wowed us during the one shorter season and did very well in the finals. And, you know, he picked it up at the end of last season. And, you know, I have never been in their dressing room. I don't know what, you know, what, what he's like as a kid, as a person. Uh, but on the other side of it, Brennan Gallagher, uh, who I've loved the way he's played throughout his career, uh, just seems like he, he's injured all the time, and he plays such a grinding hard style. And I have to wonder if, you know, part of the reason with that is I know I think he has five years left on that contract, about six six and a half million. Is that you know he, he's often injured, and you know it, it's not his fault. Players, but he's played a, a very rugged and vicious style of hockey throughout his career. I you know I I feel like the only goals he ever scores are in the crease, and you know he's getting cross checked. He goes in there, he battles with anyone. So he's a heart and soul type of guy. He would be an easy choice from the outside looking in. And uh, because he is one of those blood and guts types of guys, and you know, it's just they want probably want him not to carry that burden and just be able to play and get his game back and be a healthy, consistent contributor to the team. 
Looking at the uh, the way that the Eastern Conference finished up last year, and and considering some of the the changes that we've seen in the offseason I look at a team like you know Washington now obviously picking up that final wild card spot I think they're going to be really pushed by teams like Detroit and certainly Ottawa I don't need to convince anybody has uh, drastically improved this year if I were to ask you I guess how the balance of power in the Eastern Conference is changing in your opinion could could you sort of nail that down in the way that we're seeing Boston trend one way and maybe a team like Detroit trend another well, the big, biggest thing with Boston is they're going to be hampered by injuries the first half of the season. And to key, key players, and I, I believe Marchand is one of the top five left wingers in the National Hockey League, and, and if he's not there, Charlie McAvoy is, you know, a, an upper half of the league defenseman. He's, you know, definitely a, a number one defenseman. They're going to miss that. Grizzlick, who is a really good player for the Bruins, those are hard people, impossible people, really, to replace. So for them, they've got to find a way to hold the fort. And then you look at Ottawa. I don't think they've got the defense. I know everyone's been talking about Debrinket and Giroux, but you have to have defensemen. And, you know, is their goaltender enough uh, that, that they traded for in Talbot? And, and I just wondered. So I have a lot of question marks there. Do they got gun, firepower up front? Yeah, they got a lot of young talent. And, you know, when you're younger, you come in the league and you think about scoring goals. But, you know, that two-way game has to be there for that team. If they don't play a two-way game, all those younger players, they're going to be in trouble because I don't think they have enough horses on defense. And when the defense struggles, you start blaming your goalies for everything, and it just kind of, you know, steamrolls into something. But you look at the teams in the league. I look at Washington. They're going to be a better team, in my opinion, this season than they were last season because they went into last year with no Nick Backstrom at the start, and they've added some good guys that they didn't have in the team last year, and like Strom, who comes in, who really picked it up with the Brinkett and Patrick Kane last year, and I know those are two great players, but he fit in well with them, so he's going to get second-line ice time this year, and you look at the players that they've added, their defense was decent. They've got rid of the number one question, that's the number one thing we had to talk about every single game, whether it was win or lose last year, was our two young goaltenders, and One's in Toronto now, he's their problem, and the one's in New Jersey, the more consistent one, of Vitek Banachek. So they've solidified their goaltending in Darcy Kemper, who was kind of, it was funny, when he was the goaltender for the Coyotes, he was the backbone of the team, and everyone ranted and raved about him, and then he didn't get near enough credit because he was playing on the power, very powerful, high-scoring Colorado Avalanche that could score their way out of any type of trouble they were in last year. So I look at that, and then I never count Pittsburgh out, and they've been big three back if they're healthy. Uh, they're always good. Any team with Sidney Crosby is a definite contender. And I think Tampa Bay, there's a team. They've lost some key defensemen. And I look at losing Ryan McDonough and how great he played there. They're going to go with youngsters back there now. And I know they still have Chernick. They've got Hedman, who's one of the best, if not the best, defensive in the National Hockey League with Kale McCarr. And Sergachev, who's kind of a one of those guys. He, he wins games for you, he loses games for you. He's kind of a highlight reel both ways. Uh, but I think they've got a lot of work to do with their defense, but they still have probably the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. To me, Florida is going to be the team we're talking about squeaking to hang on next year, um, and I think that's really the team that's going to people are going to be wondering what happened to the Florida Panthers when it's all said and done. Uh, chatting with Al May right now, eight 
teams at 100 points in the Eastern Conference last year. There is not a chance it takes 100 points to get into the playoffs again this year. There was just such a, uh, a difference. There was there was such little parity even in the second half of the season, as I recall. I mean, things were sewn up for, for quite some time. I just cannot possibly see that happening again. I want to get a thought from you, Al, just on, on when you sign a goaltender like Darcy Kemper for a team that had been having those kind of goaltending issues, you know, with the two youngsters in there and all the uncertainty. Did, did you kind of hear the market exhale a little bit, knowing you just got a Stanley Cup winner and, and a guy coming right off of that Stanley Cup and the experience that that comes with? How significant a signing was Kemper there? Well, I think it's very important. As I said, you know, as, as a broadcaster, you go to the coaching staff, and those are the questions that the broadcasters ask the, the writers. You know, it's the one that social media goes after is always your goaltending. And you can have a team just playing pathetic defensive hockey, but they're going to blame the goaltender anyways. And I think right now what it does for Washington and adding Kemper and Charlie Lindgren, but Kemper is going to be the starter. He'll probably play 50 to 60 games, is that if the team falters, then you just have to start questioning coaching. And so there's no more excuses. So it falls on. The players don't have an excuse. The coaching staff doesn't have an excuse. Uh, so they've got to make sure – that they're supporting their goaltender. And I said this a long time ago about Braden Holpe. You know, he had a season that was kind of troubling the year he won the Stanley Cup. And I thought the team's defensive play was pathetic. And they played one way in front of Sam Stonoff, one way in front of him. And with Sam Stonoff, they were way more dialed in defensively because they knew he was a high-event goalie. They used to lead Braden. I think, well, Braden can handle it. But it started to eat him up near the end of the season. When they locked it down, you know, Braden only had to worry about the puck in front of him, not the backdoor plays, not the breakaways. And I think that's going to have to be the same thing with Kemper. They're going to have to dial it in when they don't have the puck. I think they're going to have to tweak their their defensive system. But at the same time, there's no more excuses. And I think Darcy Kemper can go in there and play with the confidence of a veteran. And then the players will have to look at themselves. If they are, if they are letting in goals and the defense isn't where it needs to be, they're going to have to lock it down. Al May on the line, 12.48 in Edmonton uh, right now. Uh, just backing it out to 30,000 feet, Al, maybe for this final question here. Any storylines in particular that have gripped you in the off season, or that you're watching heading into this upcoming year, either out of the East or anywhere out of the NHL? Well, you know, the, the big thing is I, I, I love what Buffalo has really done in the last, you know, the last half of last year. You know, once Eichel was removed and they added and they got, they, they were able to quit talking about it after every game. They didn't have to talk about Jack Eichel. There was no more controversy between, you know, team management, ownership, and Eichel and his agents about his injury. And they've got so much young talent right now. And it seemed like Don Granato was a really good mix for their coaching staff. So if that team can really start to put it together with the young talent they have on defense, all that great talent they have on forward, I think they're going to be a team that's really fun to watch this year. And then the Detroit Red Wings, uh, you know, last year, I, I didn't think much of them. I think this year they added real NHL players to their roster, guys that have done it and, and been really good players in other markets, and they all come there at the same time, and all of a sudden they've got a lot more depth than they had, and they didn't have to rely on being perfect every single night. And certainly having a new voice behind the bench there, I thought that was critically important. So I think Detroit is going to be a team that really gives it to a lot of teams in the National Hockey League. They're going to be used to getting their two points, easy two points against the Red Wings, and it's not going to happen so much. And one, and then on the other side of it, 
you know, everyone is all over the New York Islanders. Barry Trotz loses his job. Uh, I still think they're a really good hockey team. They're not going to start on the road the first two months of the season. They're not going to go into their new arena for the first five, six games with half the roster out with COVID and barely being able to put a, a, a lineup on the ice. I think under Lane Lambert, they're going to do really good things, and they're going to be the team that everyone's talking about. Even though they didn't go out and sign all the, the high-priced, big-name free agents, I think the Islanders are going to be very legitimate this season. Certainly in the mix for Kadri there. Now we'll have to wait and see what they do without him. Al, thanks so much for the time today. Appreciate it, man. We'll chat soon. Yeah, take care. Thank you. Absolutely. Al May on uh, the Washington Capitals color analyst on NBC Sports. We'll take a quick time out here on Oilers. Now it's Brendan Escott in for Bob Stoffer today. Just heard from our headliner today, Al May, Washington Capitals color analyst, brought to you today by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Might just be the best you've ever tasted. Search for W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Lots well, of mixed reaction to the prospect of Jake Vertanen joining the Oilers on a professional tryout offer. 780-496-0063, the number to text... Texter on Edmonton says, go for Vertanen all day, any day. Lee says, the only reason why Vertanen is a thought is because the oil need to make cap space. Believe they need to shed over a million dollars to sign McLeod, so it's either Fogel, Pugliarvi, or Barry. I'd rather they trade for a player that they can utilize and then make a trade just to dump salary. So why not Barry to Ottawa for Travis Hamanick? Hamannick's a name they've kicked around for sure. Uh, Lee says Hamannick's gritty, kills penalties, can split time with Ryan Murray. Barry would be effective with Shabbat on the power play straight across or at the max a fourth rounder to offset that $1.5 million cap hit for Ottawa. Uh, I, I don't think the team's eager to move Barry at this point. I think that especially playing that fourth line right defense role where they don't have as much depth immediately. The depth is on the way on the right side for sure, but immediately they need Tyson Berry to play. And if you're shooting for a Stanley Cup this year, I don't think that I want to trade away Tyson Berry, who's also been with this team for the last few. You know what he can do offensively. He moves the puck out of the back end very quickly, and that's something that this team prioritizes. Even if you don't, even if you prefer that big, hulking, you know, uh, kind of mean defenseman, tough to play against, it seems based on the history of signings here by by Ken Holland and the rest of the Oilers staff, that they like puck movers. And that's what Barry's game is. Mike from Calgary says, I tend to agree with you on Vertanen. Friedman, though, is reporting that he expects him at Oilers camp as they've made the biggest push. This comes at the sacrifice of Pugliarvi. I think that move would be a fail by Ken Holland. I don't think that there's... I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I don't think that you have to get rid of uh, Yesapol Yarvi in order to afford Jake Vertanen. I, that's the appeal of Jake Vertanen, right, is the fact that he comes with a $750,000 price tag and nothing more. So that's good news. But right now... I don't have any indication that there's trade suitors for Yessa Pugliarvi. I'm sure there would be willing, their team's willing to take him on, but that, you're not willing to give him up for a fourth-round draft pick at this point. Teams aren't willing to surrender a second, and if that's what you want, you've got to allow him some time to play his way back into that kind of value. That's not going to happen before the season. I don't really expect a whole heck of a lot else to happen before the season starts. Of course, Ryan McLeod will be signed and then probably one PTO. 
We'll see if it ends up being Vertanen. Sonny says he's surprised Edmonton hasn't reached out to Brett Ritchie. I wonder, I wonder if there's players like Brett Ritchie that become available on the waiver wire as the season goes along. Think back to last year when Nathan Bastian became a name as Seattle didn't utilize the big physical forward who they had claimed from New Jersey. And then what happens? Well, New Jersey ends up claiming him back because the guy can, he can play, he can fill that role. So there's always a name out there, I think, that you could be enticed by. Brett Ritchie, we've seen him in Calgary colors. I didn't like watching him play against Edmonton. He was a problem. He was a problem. I think he did some damage to Dujar Kara, if memory serves as well. It looks like a guy who come the nitty-gritty time of the season, like on your team. I don't know how much ice time he'd see in the other 82 regular season games, though. You know, like, it just, he, he would be a spot-duty kind of guy. That's kind of how I picture Jake Vertanen as well. More of a spot-duty guy. People texting us out of Vancouver saying we've seen him in spells of, of invisibility, and then he'll come out and look like a world-beater. And then he goes missing for three games again. I, maybe you can afford that in your bottom six. I'd like a little more. Reminder that the James H. Brown Injury Report is brought to you all season long, of course, by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Unrivaled experience, unrivaled commitment, unrivaled results on the Blackhawks injury front. You know what? Let's go ahead and get to it right now. Let's go to NHL today. For our friends at Elite Promotional Marketing, your local branded merchandise specialists, head to ElitePromoMarketing.com. Injury front, uh, Chicago, yeah, that was yesterday's news, I guess, that uh, Jalen Lipin, former Oil King, he'll miss 14 to 18 weeks after tearing his uh, rotator cuff. And Jake McCabe, after cervical spine surgery, he's out uh, 10 to 12 weeks. So a couple ugly ones there for Chicago. Um, Ottawa signing Tyler Mott, one year, one $1.35 million deal for the 27-year-old. He's entering his eighth season in the league. Sens are his fifth team. One of Mott's former teammates, actually in Chicago, uh, they're going to retire. Marion Hosa's number 81, November 20th this year. Uh, yeah, the Slovak will be the eighth player to have his number retired by the Blackhawks. Stanley Cup winner with Duncan Keith, 2010, 2013, and 2015. And Hosa was a part of the Hawks Hall of Fame class in 2020. So again, his 81 will be raised to the rafters on November 20th. And Pierre Lebrun writing Wednesday in The Athletic. That is today. It's believed to have, Nazem Kadri rather, believed to have turned down a six-year offer from another club, not the Calgary Flames, that was worth $8.5 million AAV. And that was earlier in free agency. Might that have been the New York Islanders, I wonder. More coming up in Hour 2 of the show. NHL insider John Shannon, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey after a global news weather traffic update.